Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin. It is I, Jeff Jawaskin, host of Classic Conversations, bringing you this bonus episode of Crossing the Streams, three magical segments from our live show we do every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You're welcome to join us on YouTube, Twitter, or the Facebook. What is Crossing the Streams? We are here to answer the universal question, what should I be binge-watching next? You just finished something. You got to watch something else. You've come to the right place. This bonus episode pulls from our 90 plus hours of episodes all available on YouTube. But this, we're packing three right into your ears for you from episode 46, 27, and 78. We're bringing you highlights for you to jot down and binge the second this episode is over. This episode, we're talking Rita Moreno, just a girl that decided to go for it. Another documentary, 1971, the year that changed everything. And a movie, The Incredible Hulk Returns. So much goodness awaits you. Let's kick it off with Sal D'Amelio from episode 46. Rita Moreno, just a girl that decided to go for it. Take it away, Sal. Let's talk about Rita Moreno, <laughs> just a girl who decided to go for it. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. So this is on Netflix, like Ron does. I clicked on Netflix and it suggested this Rita Moreno documentary. I love documentaries. I love Rita Moreno. Who doesn't? If anything, I found out she's not Dan Marino's mother. So that was the, <laughs> that was the first thing I found out. <laughs> or Omar Moreno. <laughs> she is uh for some of our millennials watching you might not know who she is she's a uh she's a wonderful wonderful actress who started her career she was born in 1931 she's actually still living today and she's part of the documentary herself she actually narrates the whole documentary it's kind of shot with with scenes of her in her uh looks like a fabulous apartment in New York or something but uh she kind of narrated her, herself she's 89 years old hmm. she's actually doing creating a project right now for Netflix. So she's still working, but kind of hit home for me because she's obviously she's an immigrant, which is what I am. I'm a naturalized immigrant myself. My parents are from Italy. I was born in Switzerland. She was from Puerto Rico and she came to this country for, you know, she even says it in, in the documentary that she, her mom, her dad was nowhere to be found. Her dad stayed back in Puerto Rico, but her mom brought her to America to have a better life. And she is kind of, I love, I actually love this documentary because um, she, uh, she said her first viewing of the Statue of Liberty, she actually thought that lady was the president of the United States. She, <laughs> she, she didn't know. She's just like, I see this big lady holding a torch in the middle of the, in the water. And to her, that was, that person must be the president. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how far-fetched some of these immigrants were. But anyway, uh, her mom brought her to uh, New York to, to have a better life. And the problem was that she was Puerto Rican. And back then, uh, you were labeled that. I mean, that's what it was. And she started dancing at a very early age. She was very theatrical uh, her whole life. She said she wanted to be in the movies ever since her uh, mom took her to a movie. So that's what she wanted to be. And 
boy, did she ever go for it. And, and it's kind of ironic. That's the name of her show or her documentary. But she uh, just worked herself up. And, you know, when she got her first roles, when she was 16 years old, they literally, some of the roles, and they would show great, great footage of all her movies and just things that she went through. But they literally showed her, she looked, she wasn't that brown. They painted her brown in everything she did to make her look more Caribbean or more Puerto Rican. She hated that. She said she was very, very depressed for many, many years because she was always labeled as well, uh, it, the, well, go ahead, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you, if you look at the screen adaptation of West side story, which, which she stars in, they clearly painted her and it looks bad on all of them. Yes. And she, she hated that about that, you know, but she was trying to earn a living. She was trying to make a name and, um, there's, I, I don't want to get into too much. I, I know we're pressed for time. It's a wonderful documentary. One, one of the highlights that uh, that I liked about it was um, this is the, you got to remember this is like the early 1950s and things were kind of crazy. One of one of her kind of side jobs, and it's not prostitution. I don't. I the please do not take it this way. Back then, there was actually a, a service. It was in the yellow pages or something where you can be an escort for people that have a lot of money that aren't married. And she literally did that. She went along with this guy to a party and he was well off and she's at this party and she meets, I don't know his name exactly, but it's mayor, the mayor from gold, you know, the mayor movie industry mayor. He actually sees her at the party and literally just says, she even says this in the, in the documentary that it's the first time she ever heard a guy use this phrase, but she basically, the guy said, I want to fuck you. Okay, pardon my French, but she's like, oh my god, it it shocked her. She she had never heard a guy say that to her, and and uh, obviously she did not go down that road. But she was like, okay, now I see what what's happening in Hollywood. How how women are perceived as I was just a piece of meat to one of the biggest industry people, one of the biggest producers uh, and and owners of uh, a studio in in those days. So. Uh, you know, here we are today with the Me Too movement. I mean, it started all back then. But anyway, it, it, it kind of dives in a little bit of that, dives into her relationship with Marlon Brando. She had over an eight-year relationship with Marlon Brando, never married him, but had a very tumultuous relationship, fights and womanizing and all that kind of stuff, where she actually had a mental breakdown and actually tried to commit suicide, failed at that, thank God. And uh, seven years later, ends up doing a movie with Marlon Brando seven years after trying to take her life because of her relationship with him. And uh, it's kind of funny. They showed this scene where she had with him where she's supposed to be like, kind of like uh, in a fight with him, so to speak. And she does it. She does it great. She actually says in, in the uh, documentary that uh, there were some old feelings that were hashed, (laughs) hashed around that scene. So it was something fun for her to do in that Mm -hmm. moment. But anyway, just went on for a a great career. She was actually, she's actually one of the only actors, actresses to ever win a Tony, a Grammy, an EGOT. Yes. An EGOT. It's exactly right. She's the only living Um, actor to have won an EGOT. Correct. And uh, she's just a, a wonderful just a wonderful talent that persevered for many, many years. She won an Oscar, uh, as Ron just said, in, in West Side Store. She didn't get a job for seven years. Think about that. Think about Matthew McConaughey winning an Oscar. How many roles did he get offered after winning an Oscar? She got none, none for seven 
years. She did nothing because they kept offering her the roles where they wanted her to be kind of like the brown girl. And she didn't want to do that. So she stuck to her guns, didn't work as much, but uh, went on to do many, many different things. I mean, she was on a, She was in, in the series Oz where she won, where she was just great yeah. in that. And uh, the director. I forgot they, she was in that. Yeah, the interview that the uh, director that interviewed uh, she they interviewed for the documentary. They said people thought he was crazy for for uh, casting her as uh, as that part, and she went on to do tremendous things with that part and many many others. And she's over seventy years, seven decades uh, in in Hollywood. She's a she's just a national treasure. And I really liked it. I, I recommend it for everybody. How many tomato sauce jars? I give it five tomato sauce jars. Wow. Five wow. tomato sauce jars. Yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of tomato sauce. Six with my head most, in the middle of it. So <laughs> most importantly, she was on the electric company. No. Yes. Show. Oh, good, good. No, wait good, a minute. Good the call, Her episode of The Muppet Show is season one is. Correct. And I didn't know that uh, Morgan, uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman, was in the sure, company. sure. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Spider Man was. He, he looked. He looked like JJ Walker back then. He looked young. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, great, great career. I highly recommend nice. it. All right, Sal. Great job there. Yes, Rita won a Oscar for West Side Story. You can check out my podcast with George Chakiris. He's the other guy from West Side Story that won an Oscar. So if you want to hear more about West Side Story, you can head on over to that episode. In the meantime, let's piggyback another episode, my episode with Pat Jankowitz. We talked all about The Incredible Hulk recently, but here's my review of The Incredible Hulk Returns, starring other classic conversation guests, Eric Allen Framer. Take it away, me. I think I'm going to try and keep the emotion level high. Oh, <laughs> nice. Somewhere. And I'm going to I'm going to talk about the incredible Nobody Hulk make returns. Jeff angry. Nobody you wouldn't, you wouldn't like, like wouldn't like him when he's angry. When he's angry. <laughs> I'm going to I'm leaving this up for a second Ooh. just to show you so you can see uh, Lou Ferrigno's hair. Lou Ferrigno's <laughs> hair in these return movies. Was not necessarily uh, uh, up to par. Now, here's the other thing about this show. And I just had, uh, so this is the Hulk and this is the live action Thor. So this was actually the very first live action Thor. Look at the shit they made us watch. I know. So hang on. So that's Eric Allen Kramer. He was just on my podcast. He went on to star as the father in Good Luck Charlie, which is how a lot of generation knows him. But I would always watch that show with my kids and I'd be like, oh, Bob Duncan, he's he's the original Thor. And so and they were like, we don't care. Well, well and, they didn't uh, even have costumes. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Not a lot of budget for costumes. <laughs> no, no. So. So. All right. So here's the thing. Here's uh, the Hulk oh show is always one of my favorite things. You know, I was like, and I always. I, I love the opening and could just rattle, you know, Dr. David Bruce Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strength that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation all, <laughs> you know, it alters his body chemistry. Now, whenever David Banner goes angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurred. And then I'd always go like this. I'd put my hand up and go, you know, because he'd, he'd split the face. I actually watched, I think it came up on Pluto or something, the original Incredible Hulk pilot the actual show not this movie and it's really good it holds up i mean except for you have to suspend for a second that 
the Hulk transformations are of the time, but they're not horrible <laughs> of the time. But if you can get past that, it was actually a really good. It was a great series. It really was. And it really at the time set the bar for Marvel and, and, and television superheroes. It faltered after that, but all right. So incredible Hulk has its run. It's a great show. It does really well. The original series ran from 78 to 1982. And then in 1988, six years later, there was a resurgence. It was like a lot of in the eighties reunion shows from television. So it was really, really, really big business. So they're going to bring the incredible Hulk back. The incredible Hulk comes back. Kenneth Johnson, who was the showrunner for the original incredible Hulk does not come back with it. We have Bill Bixby kind of taking the rearranging everything. Lou Ferrigno comes back as the Hulk. The idea here is that they're going to create a series of movies that are backdoor pilots. So the idea was by introducing Thor into the Incredible Hulk Returns that that was a pilot for a Thor spinoff. When when well, that's we the way they did it back then, I mean, right, right, right. You know, more more on Happy Days, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. And the Incredible Hulk returns. We find David Banner. He's been Hulk free for now for years. <laughs> he's learned to control himself. He's got a, a job and he's created a gamma transponder. And so he finally has found a way to uh, rid his DNA of what turns him into the Hulk. However, lo and behold, there's a new character in town, Blake, uh, Donald Blake. Dr. Donald Blake. Donald Blake, right? Who... Well, the Thor character in this movie isn't the God of Thunder. He's more like a Viking, right? He's more, it's more Viking lore than, uh, than God. And so uh, Donald Blake had found the hammer and now controls and can bring Thor back. It wasn't exactly like the comic book where Blake became Thor, which they didn't do in the Marvel movies. Uh, they alluded to it in the Marvel movies, his fake ID said Donald right. Blake once. But so they had those two characters. So the little banter between them, that would have been part of what the spinoff was, where Thor trying to get into Valhalla and doing good deeds along the way. So basically, my name is Earl before uh, 20, <laughs> 20 years earlier. Here's the interesting thing that my I think is, is really funny is that, and one of the reasons I kind of put this up is, well, is that is this is Ragnarok before Ragnarok, right? So yeah, yeah. So later, this was the team up that they found really great success with uh, that helped elevate the Thor character and and the Hulk. So this was not only the first Thor; this was that first kind of real pairing of that. The movie's fun. You can get it on Tubi. It's free. You can watch it. I rewatched it because I was interviewing Eric Allen Kramer who played Thor. And I just, I like to rewatch stuff. It's fun to, uh, you can kind of get a little deeper when you do it. There's a lot of fun parts to it. Thor calling the Hulk a troll. The <laughs> two of them fighting is great. You know, he has to scream Odin to like trans, you know, go back and forth. And that's how they go do that. And so that's fun. And then there was a drinking game I found online that said, um, David Banner transforms into the Hulk. You drink, you take a shot. If someone yells Odin, you take a shot. Someone says the word angry, shot. <laughs> Donald Blank holding the hammer, shot. The Hulk is called a troll, shot. The sad music plays, double shot. Ah, uh, the Hulk walking away. Oh, music is right. So basically, if you followed... Whoever made this drinking game on JoeBlow.com wanted everyone to die. 
I've watched it. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. You can't watch a movie and then count how many times they yeah. say angry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're going to have but to go through a half gallon of vodka. This is Jack McGee, Jack Colvin's last appearance as um, in the Hulk series. He, he became sick and passed away, so he didn't make it to the other movies. He, of course, was the reporter that, uh, you know, was trying to find the Hulk and break that story. Which, by the way, interesting thing, when I, I mentioned I rewatched the original The Incredible Hulk, he, that character, is the character that actually causes the explosion, which creates The Incredible Hulk. So he actually creates the entire uh, scenario. Wow. So it was meant to be a spinoff, as I mentioned, uh, but at the time, the uh, Writers Guild of America strike, so it took a heavy toll on a lot of these shows. It was actually originally supposed to be a She-Hulk spinoff, which uh, you know has a lot of the same beats, I think, is the one coming out. Stan Lee yeah. was a consultant. He definitely liked this movie more than he liked The Amazing Spider-Man, 1970s version yeah. of Nicholas Hammond, who played Spider-Man, was on my podcast. Are you noticing a theme? But this, I think this would have gone to pilot because had some of these things not been in play and not the bad things not happened because it was a huge rating success, like huge. They actually made another one called Trial the Incredible Hulk with uh, Rex Smith, and they introduced Daredevil. They Rex never... Smith? Yep. You mean the, the singer? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Really? You and, take my uh, breath away, Rex Smith? Uh, maybe. I did, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, if, you, if you have nostalgia for uh, the Incredible Hulk, if you really like that series, this movie is a fun rewatch. Yeah. Mm. All right. <laughs> what is I mean, that? I... To this day, and I don't know if you would agree with me, Jeff, aside from the MCU uh, versions of all these great Marvel characters, the best interpretation ever of Marvel characters anywhere on TV or movie, other than the current MCU slates, were the cartoons, the after-school cartoons they did. There was Iron Man, Thor, Hulk. Yeah, the other ones, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk. I remember, um, and I still remember the song Spider Man, Spider Man, Spider Man, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Spider Man, that's uh, what Iron Man was. Uh, oh, well, I mean, I remember Thor, the Thor theme song was Cross the Rainbow Bridge of Asgard, and then the 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 Hulk one, yeah, yeah, and the Hulk was uh, (laughs) Doc Bruce Bruce Banner. Belted by gamma rays turns turns into the Hulk. Hulk. Um, Ain't he unglamorous? What was was it only the four of them? It might have only been the four of them. It might have been. Yeah, Yeah. that was a good times. Good times. (laughs) But we, you know, it was it was pure and it was uh, it was just kind of fun. You know what I mean? And so, yep. And you could watch Incredible Hulk Returns without having to watch forty other series. I mean, I you know I haven't watched them in years. I'd have to watch some of them online, but. From my memory of them, they weren't goofs. They treated them like comic books. They, they um, did. You know, that's the, the Incredible Hulk was a great, great show. I started to rewatch it yeah. and I was like, oh, this is well, a good Well, it had show. a pathos to it, didn't it? Yeah. It had yeah. a, a kind of, uh, because, uh, you know, Bill Bixby had brought something to that role that, uh, you know, he you could see he really fought for to play that straight yeah, and, yeah. And, and and the agony that he went through to try and regain his humanity. But yeah, it, it was a weird time, you know. But a great time as well. 
All right, that was from episode 78 of Crossing the Streams. Catch the full episode of any of these segments on our YouTube channel. Our final segment and show for you today that you can then run off and binge is from episode 27, 1971, the year that changed everything. Howard Rosner is going to guide us through this documentary. Take it away, Roz. 1971, the yeah, that music changed everything. So this is an eight-part Apple TV docuseries, in addition to fast cars and comic book movies. Thank you, Ron. I love documentaries as well, but this really is so much more than a music documentary. It's a superb historical documentary as well. So first, let me just talk about the series and um, what's unique about just the production of this docuseries. For a music documentary, it focuses so little. There's no talking heads that they're interviewing now about it. It's got a bunch of historical footage and behind the scenes camera shots that nobody has seen before. It's all unique. And I'm talking stuff like John Lennon in the studio, Keith Richards and uh, Mick Jagger in the South of France. It's just absolutely unique. They weave that with the music from the time frame. It's really so well produced, but why 71 was so unique and what the story tells throughout this is it was absolutely a divergent point in history in the u.s history and they really focus on the u.s and the uk predominantly it was coming out of the 60s and it was so much was changing so they focus on that you were getting just a bunch of things first of all the race the african-american movements like the Black Panthers, were becoming more prevalent. It was becoming a much stronger presence, Angela Davis. So that was a significant issue. You were getting much stronger women's rights pushes. You were getting a much stronger homosexual rights push. You were getting coming out of sort of the free love era to a much more awakened uh, and heightened um, concern about things like the Vietnam War uh, in a much a much more serious manner. Nixon as president, you were getting a much stronger take from folks being concerned about economic policy. All of these things were absolutely reflected in the music in 1971. So from a homosexual rights standpoint, you had Elton John who just launched in America and was really one of the first truly out musicians to hit it big. You had an African-American major push with artists like Sly and the Family Stone. You had a more coming out of the like rough, more rough and folksy period. You had artists that were a little bit more artistic and uh, synthesized like Bowie. From a women's rights, you had strong female musicians that were honest female musicians. They weren't trying to be, there were stronger women in, uh, especially Carol King and Joni Mitchell. Elton John has a line in this documentary where he says, at any given time, in any week of 1971, you could go down by 10 albums at the record store any week. And of those 10 albums, six or seven to this day would be considered absolute classic albums. Carol King Tapestry, one of the best albums of all time. Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers and Exile on Main Street. 
Elton John uh, Tumbleweed Connection unbelievable music that came out and it what they talk about in this is a lot of other eras especially the 60s the music was reflective of the era in 1971, the music defined the era. It was the opposite. It became rallying calls for all these political points. Drugs is another one. It was coming out of the pot smoking era of the 60s into really heavy drugs. There are a couple of archived pieces in this that are absolutely astonishing to see. There is Dick Cavett Show, Sly Stone on the Dick Cavett Show so un- they talk about how high he was because he was out of control at this point in time. He was so high in this interview. <laughs> how high was he? How high was he? It's unbelievable. And Dick Cavett is like joking because it's out of control how high he was on live television. And I'm not talking a little bit pot smoking high. I'm talking like seriously coked or heroin. <laughs> it's one of the best. Um, we've talked many times that a lot of these series repeat themselves. There's a couple of points that repeat from series to series, but every episode has a kind of a different theme. I can't recommend it highly enough. It is an, it's absolutely riveting. And again, it's you're not just watching a, a music documentary. You're watching a fantastic portrait of a time in our history as was defined in the music. And uh, mm-hmm. and then what's cool is they play the songs and then kind of spin this record. You know, so the music that they're using to narrate, then they spin this little record graphic. So you're like, oh crap, I didn't even know that song was from that year. And it's all in '71. It's really good. Do they talk about, hey, Howard, do they talk about the Beatles at all? They do. They talk about the end of the Beatles. And then there's there's actually some great footage of uh, like George Harrison, his first meal visiting John and Yoko after the breakup, their first chance getting back together and John talking about it and John talking a little bit about the breakup. And yeah, was, that, was that in 71 when they broke up? It was a couple years earlier, I think. But 71 was kind of when John was uh, doing his first solo stuff and trying to, uh, to to do some of that stuff. It's really amazing. You know, just all, all these musicians were had just things that were relative. Carol King had just gotten divorced uh, and had really been treated poorly by her singer, uh, songwriter, co-author of all their earlier music. She had always written with him, but she had never performed. And it was James Taylor that convinced her to go to the Troubadour and open for him. And I mean, Tapestry is still to this day one of the best pieces of music ever put on wax. Uh, wax is what for our younger uh, viewers is what music used to be put on. It wasn't just on the Internet. You know, Elton John just exploding on the American scene. I've talked about uh, one of my all time favorite documentaries, Laurel Canyon. Uh, the Laurel Canyon scene in the 70s was Joni Mitchell, Linda Ronstadt, CSN, Jackson Brown. It was all going on. And, and again, it, it was music. The music became rallying cries. Uh, I'm forgetting his name, but uh, uh, the revolution will not be televised, which, you know, is quoted a lot. And uh, I'm forgetting his name, but he also wrote a song on that album called No Knock, which they play the song and they show the lyrics. And I had never heard that song. It's unbelievably relevant <laughs> right now. And it was, you know, 71 that that song came out. I'm like, holy shit, 50 years. That song's lyrics is still absolutely relevant today. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. I recommend it. Great music, great storytelling, and really cool behind-the-scenes stuff. 
All right. I love when Roz dives deep into music. That was 1971, the year that changed everything. We also covered The Incredible Hulk Returns and Rita Moreno, just a girl who decided to go for it. Check out past live episodes on our YouTube channel, over 90 hours. Join us every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. We love when our fans chat along with us during a show. Plenty of homework now, plenty of shows to watch. So head on over to the couch, grab the remote, cross your own streams, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.